Warning, this podcast episode may contain explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a shadow and bone and Grishaverse podcast. If you've been listening, you know that what you can expect from us is spoilers. Lots and lots and lots of spoilers for literally everything in the Grishaverse. You have been warned. My name is JJ. I'm Kat. And I'm Anjali. And today's topic is the science of tailoring. One quick note, we will be talking about a character, Hana, who transitions, and we'll be using the pronouns he his and him, as well as maybe sometimes they and them. All right, let's talk about what we know about tailoring from the original Shadow and Bone trilogy. Sure. So I'll take that. In Shadow and Bone, the first book, we're told that tailoring is quite rare. When Alina is asking about Jenya for the first time, she says to the Darkling, are there other tailors? And he replies, Jenya is unique like us. When Jenya's abilities begin to show themselves, I could have had her choose between becoming a fabricator or a corporalnik. Instead, I cultivated her particular affinity and made her a gift to the queen. So the accepted reality is that Jenya is the first tailor, the only tailor, and perhaps she is able to tailor because she has this very unique ability to draw from both heart render powers and fabricator powers. Other things that we learn about tailoring in the first series, Alina inquires if Jenya can make really big changes. And she says, it doesn't work that way. I can't make big changes, just small ones. I perfected myself, but I've had my whole life to do it. The other sort of nitty gritty science detail that we can take away from the first series is that there seems to be some sort of base materials required to do a lot of tailoring. Like Jenya has a tailoring kit where she uses flowers and other materials to color, you know, Lena's cheeks, she uses gold to add a bit of shine to her hair. So you can kind of see how she's drawing between these fabricator, very material-based science and making changes in the body with sort of heart render abilities. So that's kind of the reality in the first book. And already in the second book, there's some cracks that start to show around this theory because we meet Tulia, who, while not called a tailor by anybody, does some tailoring on Nikolai to disguise him when he is out living his best pirate life as Sturmhund. Privateer. Privateer. <laughs> <laughs> His best privateer life. Sorry, Nikolai. So in the Six of Crows duology, when Nina does her tailoring on Jurda Parham and she just kind of waves her hand, presumably, I guess this is done off screen, change Wylan to look like Kue. And then later we see Jenya tailoring 
Wyland to look like himself again. And what's interesting about both of these is when Nina does this tailoring, it is presumably permanent because right after that, she goes into withdrawal and has lost all of her kind of corporality abilities at that point. And when Jenya tailors Wylan to look like himself again, that is also presumably permanent. So yeah, that brings up a really interesting question about the permanence of tailoring. And we see things sort of further devolve in the King of Scars duology, where not only is there a new tailor in town, Hana becomes a tailor and is quite a tailoring savant, really changing up kind of what we think we know about tailoring. But there's a kind of new wrinkle in the permanence of tailoring idea where Janya tailors Nina to look like Mila Janderslot, a typical Fyrdin fishwife. And that appears to be a permanent change. And what we learn from the Netflix Shadow and Bone season one also further complicates what we understand of the science of tailoring. Specifically, in the Darklings flashback, we actually see that there's another tailor mentioned where the Darkling comes in asking, is there a healer? And the response is, the best we can do is a tailor. So already there's another tailor existing. And a tailor that really predates Jenya by hundreds of years at this point. <laughs> and the other major tailoring that we see in this show that's unique and different from the book series is when Jenya tailors Marie, who's killed wearing Alina's face still. This is major tailoring. This is not what she tells Alina and Shadow and Bone that, oh, I can't do major changes. It takes like an entire lifetime to do what I've done to myself. Like, she did not have a lifetime to do Marie. We don't know exactly how long it took, and it was a plot twist, obviously, but that is major tailoring. Yeah. And she undoes it extremely quickly when Marie is dying. Okay, so... Lots of wrinkles here to start with. <laughs> let's try to iron some of them out. The first, let's talk about the singularity of tailors. Why is Jenya presented as occupying a unique role if she is not the first tailor? And in fact, other people can pretty easily be cultivated as tailors. So what I actually loved about you rereading the quotes for us, the direct quotes, was that the Darkling distinctly says unique. I actually remember him, like, in my memory of this story, it was like, Jenya's the only tailor. But now that I see it's the word unique, I'm like, is this very crafty phrasing on his part? And of course, this leads me down my wormhole of, are there other shadow summoners and light summoners if he's saying that Jenya's unique and not the only one, like us? But that's an entirely different plot hole that we can, you know, discuss in there many other episodes about the Darkling. Yeah, I think that's a great point. As I was reading that, it struck me as very careful wording. And what he's pairing it with is she's unique, like us. I think he might be setting up a manipulation, you know, where he's really just who cares he about Jenya and actually answering Alina's question. Let's add to the lore of sun summoners and shadow summoners and make us feel tied together. And even make Alina feel a little tied to Jenya, who he wants to be able to spy on her. Mm, I like that. Yeah, what we know from 
other sources, or I guess <laughs> Bagra, in which case, you know, who knows what <laughs> our you know, most exactly trusted who's telling source the truth and when. But that there was not always this distinction between the affinities for Grisha. Mm-hmm. And what we do see in the little palace is that the Darkling has instituted not only really strict divisions between Grisha, but also a hierarchy there. And I could definitely see him having known people who were tailors and saying, that doesn't really have a place here. I'm going to force people to pick something that I view as more useful until I view tailoring as more useful. And that's what created this specific place where he could manipulate Genya in the way that he did. But I, I think he didn't view tailoring as particularly useful for his military which sort of makes sense, although I think as we've also talked about, like spies. Right. I mean, you know, Nina is a much better spy when Jarl Broom doesn't immediately recognize her and have her killed. Yeah, I actually think the truth lies somewhere in between there. Like, I do think the Darkling and Genya, maybe they're not the most reliable narrators to Alina. They are both trying to heavily manipulate her and deceive her. So maybe they're not being very forthcoming with you know, the history of tailors and their role in the Grisha army. But I also think that what we kind of see from later tailors' appearances is that all Corporalki can tailor weekly, but they don't necessarily consider it a very important or useful pursuit. Because I think as a country constantly at war, maybe cultivating more heart renders to kill a bunch of people in battle is slightly more important than, you know, fixing someone's wrinkles. And the actual Grisha that we see at the little palace seem to trivialize Jenya's ability to just that level of vanity. I agree with JJ, that there is like a slight quibble because I do think tailors are incredibly useful for spy work and, you know, disguising your agents in the field. But perhaps it's just not where the Darkling wanted to put all his energy. And then later, under the new reign of Grisha post Darkling, there are more tailors where, you know, Nina is learning to tailor, albeit weekly, but she was trained somewhat to do it and can train others to do that yeah. as well. Yeah, they say in there that it is now part of every Corporal next training. I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I want to queue up with how useful is the perceived ability of a tailor for their changes to be permanent? It is very important, for instance, for Genya's position that the changes that she's making to the Tsarista not be permanent Mm. because otherwise the Tsarista could call her over and just send her right back. But she needs to be available constantly because those changes are not permanent. And so I do think this is probably a different section now, but like as we get into it, there is not the same value to the military of changes that will only last for a few hours or half a day as there would be when Genya can tailor Nina to look like a Fjordan fishwife and just send her off indefinitely. I think the other thing that's interesting there, you know, the Darkling, who knows how truthful he is, but he says that Genya is unique because she's able to sort of slide on the scale between materialki and corporalki. And perhaps Genya's particular tack she takes with tailoring where she's using these 
physical resources to drive her tailoring changes means that they're not permanent, that she's drawing on this resource that can be used up and is, you know, more temporal than, say, how another corporalki, I don't know, Hana might, who may or may not be a fabricator, also might approach the same change and they would have different lengths of time that the changes would last. This is super interesting. It sounds like And tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're suggesting she uses this kit when she wants her tailoring to be impermanent. I never considered that before. I was like, I don't really understand when and why she uses it versus when tailors don't need to use it. Except she does use it to change Wylan back. And I think you can certainly make the argument that she's like reverting him to his state that he was in before. And that's why it's natural. But she does use the kit when she does that. It's interesting because I think the other instances we see of tailoring post the first trilogy are when Nina's teaching Hana to tailor. I don't remember there being a material kit there. I could be wrong, but I'm like, it is a question I absolutely have around the science of tailoring. Are materials necessary? Are they like just make it easier or faster? Or like when and why do they need to be used? Yeah, I think to what we were saying with Wyland's changes or Wyland reverting back to his form because maybe that's his natural form. Maybe Jenya doesn't need to like create a lasting change because she's just reversing a change, even if it was done by extremely overpowered Nina, Perem Nina, if you will. So I think this is really helpful for me. It kind of explains, or it's like laying a groundwork for future tailors popping up and appearing. It makes me feel a little bit better about the mythology around tailors. I will say I don't fully agree with the TV tailor appearing, you know, 400 years before it was popular. I will chalk that down to perhaps the TV writers being careless lunatics. <laughs> I'm willing to believe that the Darkling made it go out of fashion. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I think I'm willing to buy that there were tailors or that some Grisha have natural affinities towards tailoring. And just through the Darkling's, you know, Grisha accelerator program, he decided to basically weed that out until he found someone like Jenya. Grisha Accelerator Program. What I do think is interesting about that, because when I watched the show and I was like, Taylor, that's not going to be any good. And then when we were preparing for the last episode, Jenya heals, burns all over her body every single day. She's actually a decently strong healer. I suppose that's like superficial, but your skin is an organ. And she healed herself well enough that no one noticed. It sounds from a lot of what happens later, like her main affinity might even be on the materialki side. So that she is a relatively strong healer makes me wonder if the show writers were being unnecessarily harsh on the tailor when the Darkling just rejected the tailor out of hand. That's right. (laughs) He'd rather just let her slowly die (laughs) rather than even get the tailor to try. (laughs) This is how he made tailors go out of fashion. He seeded it early. (laughs) They're useless. (laughs) 
The other explanation that I think one of us came up with around why Jenya is using these materials so heavily is that perhaps Jenya has also been lied to and that the Darkling tried to convince her that she needs these materials in order to conduct her work to sort of hobble her powers in a way which seems like a perfectly darkling thing to do, where he wants her useful for this one purpose, but not get too powerful and threaten him. And I think the fact that she is able to permanently tailor, she tailors Nina to look like Mila for months, if not years at a time, maybe she's gotten beyond the Darkling's tutelage and reach and has like really done some experimentation and has come beyond that constraint. I think it is certainly possible that the Darkling lied to Jenya. Obviously, <laughs> the Darkling lied to Jenya about a lot of things. And I also think it's possible that Jenya, alongside the Darkling, decided to hobble herself like that to make herself seem less threatening and to just give the impression that tailoring is not this thing where you can make big permanent changes and part of why I lean towards that rather than the darkling lying to her part of it is their relationship in the tailor makes me think that he would have brought her into that to make her complicit in that way and the other reason is that in Rule of Wolves, when she is just listing out grievances of the Darkling, none of the grievances that she lists is, he lied to me about my own abilities, and he kept me from doing what I could do. Given that she listed so many other things, I feel like that would have come up at some point. I think to add on to that, she does say, I've been working on this my whole life. I think she already knew how to tailor before she caught the Darkling's eye which suggests to me that she probably knows quite a bit about how it works as a child. Maybe she didn't know to use materials yet either, or that there were, you know, some kind of like aid that she could use. So I have a feeling that she knows. And to JJ's point, it makes sense for her to appear weaker to the other Grisha so that they never consider her one of her, their own and so that nobody else really develops strong tailoring powers under the Darkling's rule. Like just thinking out loud, but it seems pretty dangerous for your system and your hierarchy if people believe that anyone could be running around looking like anyone else at any given time. Yeah. So if they knew the extent of what tailoring could do, even for myself, I'm like, this is like kind of mind boggling. You don't know who to trust. Who am I really talking to? Is this actually Anjali right now? Or is it like JJ Taylor to look like Anjali? Like, you know, what's <laughs> yeah, happening? It's existing oh, in a universe with real life deep fakes possible at every corner. <laughs> right. Yeah. I keep going back to just on the reread. I was so struck by the hierarchy that he created and by having the one person who visibly breaks these categories that he's created be the lowest level mm -hmm. instead of the highest mm -hmm. gives him a lot more control. Great point. Yeah, let's talk some more about Jenya's sort of unique place, or should I say non-place in the hierarchy. The Darkling creates her ability to slide between these two orders, because I think it's incredibly fascinating. It seems like that is actually one of the most unique things about Jenya. And 
yet nobody seems to make a big deal about this in the actual universe of the books and the show. And even we see in the tailor, Jenya describes herself by saying, I'd been ordinary among the Grisha, a pretty girl with a modicum of talent. Nobody else seems to, you know, really slide between these orders besides Morozova, are we not all things after all, and Dragon Zoya. Both of these figures are incredibly important, powerful beings in the Grisha universe. So it's amazing to me that Genya appears to be so special, and even she doesn't think of herself that way. In discussing how Genya thinks about herself and that ability, one thing that we see in Shadow and Bone in the book and then also in the show is she goes from wearing a white kefta to wearing a red one. And so she goes from being the lowest in the hierarchy to being one of the highest. And in the book, this red kefta has blue embroidery on the cuffs. And in the show, it is hard to tell. I think it's a deep purple. It's possible it's blue, but I think it's a deep purple. A purple would make more sense it's the materialki color, and so the corporalki and the materialki color makes sense for someone who has both of those affinities, whereas the etheralki color blue on the cuffs does not make as much sense. I definitely got the impression from that change that Jenya was extremely sensitive to the hierarchy, and I think that working for that red kefta, putting her at the top, was an extremely motivating force for mm-hmm. her. And I also just like for someone who's a tailor with red hair, wearing a red kefta every single day just is not like, I don't know. It's like not her color. I think part of being that good looking is you can wear like a trash bag and make it look like high fashion. So maybe that's part of her point here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that shows really how important it is to her even. I was going to say, I completely agree with your point around the status and how important it is to Janish. I mean, to be fair to her, she's been downtrodden her entire life, so I totally get it, no judgment. But interestingly, by King of Scars, she actually adds golden thread to her hem embroidery too. And you can say, yes, it's like a tribute to Alina, her best friend, but that's also in some ways a another status indicator. I was close to the sun summoner, the saint, you know, and it's a very visible, constant reminder of her close relationship to Alina. Okay, so it sounds like the answer, and I do think you guys are right, is that the Darklings hierarchy is so ingrained in everyone's way of perceiving the world that even though the ability to you know, be in one order or the other should be something that's really special and prized. And perhaps Grandpappy Morozova would have picked out as important and <laughs> made everyone worship on a pedestal. Just being a heart render is <laughs> seen as being the most important thing. So even Jenya just wants a red kefta rather than necessarily to switch between two orders or even think it's so, so special special that she might belong to another one. I'm kind of surprised she didn't come up with a new Kefta, like main primary color for her army of tailors. You know, some, like mm. it was such a big deal to her when the Darkling wanted Alina to wear a black Kefta, you know, that like this really stand out. I'm kind of surprised 
Jenny didn't take it as a branding opportunity for this new like order of her army of tailors. Well, I think there's also remember that she's been wearing her own color mm. her whole time in the little palace. And I think she wanted a color that everyone knew was high status. I do think there was an opportunity for her as a member of the triumvirate to reclaim the white hefta. She could have done that, but she did not. I think especially when there are now more dedicated tailors and that could have been like their whole group or section wearing the same thing. Because I think you're right. She doesn't want to be the only one out anymore. But now that their tailoring is a specialization, that could have been an opportunity for her to have a sense of belonging, but also help indicate her high status as a special new order. So Hannah, sudden new incredible tailor appears on the scene, as you mentioned in our summary. What do we make of what we learned from Hannah about the science behind tailoring? What I wouldn't give for a Hana chapter that follows him as he was discovering this, it is interesting that he tells Nina he'd never done tailoring before, whereas we know Jenya did it from the time she was three years old. There's definitely a big question about how much we can trust of what Hana says about the tailoring he's done is true. But I think what, what we do certainly know is we see Hana do the fastest and the most complete tailoring. I think the only person we see rival Hana's tailoring job that he does on the prints where they switch faces or perhaps bodies entirely is when Nina is on Jurdapura. And we don't see that happen on the page, which is interesting. We have some clues about how long it could have taken because we know that she's coming down and there's this limited time and she does other things like get rid of Inej's scar. But we don't we don't exactly know how long that took. And we have a little bit more context for the amount of time that Hannah would have had because the guard who was with them goes to get help slowly. And then even before he's back up doing anything, the tailoring has finished. And it's not like the tailoring job is sloppy at all. No one says, oh, why is the prince's face looking funny or anything? It's a really, really good tailoring job. The other time we see, but again, it's like off screen, if you will, an incredible tailoring job is when Jenya does Isaac to look like Nikolai. We don't know how long it took her. We don't know if she used materials or anything, but I think that is the other time where someone is impersonating another person, not just being made to look like a new generic, you know, feared and fishwife like Mila, but actually like there is a person you are supposed to look like and we need to fool everyone. So I've mentioned this before in one of our Nina episodes, but I find Hannah frustrating as a character because so much of his development takes place off screen. This is similar to what JJ is saying. Hana is so incredibly powerful without us seeing evidence of him working for that power, of him practicing his tailoring skills, of him trying to achieve some sort of goal that it really, it feels like it comes out of 
nowhere, which I can understand because I understand the author wants to surprise us with a twist at the end. But it also, because of that, ends up feeling unearned to me. I'm not only skeptical of Hana's powers, I'm frustrated by how good they appear to be by it. It feels a little deus ex machina to me in that you're right, there was a big plot reveal. And of course, it gives Hana and Nina a new happy ending too. So like, that's nice and all as a reader. But it just is such a, it requires such a leap of understanding that we have not developed thus far in the Grishaverse around how tailoring works and how Grisha skills and abilities are developed, that it's jarring. And, you know, in in this case, there are even things that Hana could have done to make his job easier. So clearly he needed to be able to pass as the prince. Tailoring the prince's dead body to look like Hana is a whole separate job. And Oof. like he really could have like burned the prince's body, right? There are a lot of things he could have done. I know he did toss the prince down. And so presumably, you know, if some facial features are off, it's going to be maybe attributed to a fall or I don't remember how the prince landed or if anyone like talks about that. But None of those (laughs) shortcuts to have the amount of work that would have had to happen were taken either. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, as you're discussing this, how much empathy I'm feeling for Hana. I just came off of expressing a lot of frustration and skepticism and perhaps a little bit of dislike for him as a character. But now I just feel so much sympathy towards him for having to tailor a dead body to have his face. That just sounds like the worst thing in the world. Fully agree. And we should talk about the fact that tailoring does work on a dead person, which is, I think, a little bit interesting. Yes, because this is a great point, because Nina, after she's on Perem and her powers change so she can only affect the dead, she can no longer tailor, but Hana can tailor dead bodies. Look, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But isn't there something about like different parts of your body stop working at different rates like your fingernails continue to grow once you die and so i could certainly imagine that hana might be dealing with parts of the body that are still tingling with enough blood or life or making it the heart of the world that he's able to make those changes well I actually was going to follow up my wave of empathy for Hana by playing devil's advocate for him. Let's not assume that he has been overpowered, but that there is some explanation for why he maybe has such savant abilities. And I was going to say, you know how we've discussed how the Zemeni are free from these sort of constraints of like the rubric that Grisha thought and perhaps you know they can affect plant life because no one told them they can't affect plant life and in the same way Hana is getting a very unconventional education 
as a corporalki. He's learning kind of in bits and pieces from Nina. But you can see by the time of Rule of Wolves, Nina's barely teaching him anything. Like all of his <laughs> learning comes in private. And perhaps because he's not being taught with the traditional Grisha curriculum, you know, specifically in this instance, that materials power tailoring, he's had to come up with a lot of new and inventive ways to do things. And so, you know, perhaps because he's not using materials, he actually ends up making permanent changes in the body and just doing tailoring through a purely corporal key method. And maybe he's just tapped into something that the Ravkin Grisha didn't know was possible. So... Perhaps Hana is just freed from conventional thinking. I'm just going to go with this for now to give him the benefit of the doubt and honestly to let myself like him a little bit more as a character. We've talked about this before and maybe we've talked about it in this episode, but I would love point of view chapters from Hana in the next series that Lee writes because I think that would be very redemptive. Totally. I was just saying about this. I wonder if tailoring the prince's body to look like his old self was actually in some ways cathartic too like it was really the end of his life as appearing as a woman Mm -hmm. like almost like a dead naming but like a in the entire like ceremony and he was the only you know witness to it but yeah oh not being trans myself i don't want to you know try and project i was positing that it was traumatic for him but i see what you're saying that it might be freeing and it could be both. It might, maybe it's not an and or, right? Yeah. Wow. I want to bring up one more thing about Nina on Parham. She doesn't kill Jarl Broom out of deference to Matthias. So Nina literally just like takes the skin of his head off and then he's bald and scarred later, but it, it doesn't kill him. But given all these things that we see happening with tailoring later on, I have to really feel like this was a huge missed opportunity. Like, Him walking around with a scarred head, like, I don't know, he's in the military. Like, yes, that's distinctive, but, you know, there's also a little bit of, like, credibility there. Yeah, badge of honor. Whereas what if she, yeah, there's a badge of honor, but what if she'd made him spout a second head in his armpit? Or what if she'd, you know, what if she'd, this is Fierda, what if she'd turn him into a woman? Right? Ooh. That would not have been a badge of honor in the Fjordan military. I just think there were a lot of possibilities here. And I'm a little bit sad that she just pulled off his hair <laughs> instead. Yeah. Nina needs lessons in pettiness from JJ, clearly, to <laughs> fully achieve revenge. He could have looked like a parakeet, Anjali. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> So we've talked about Jenya, we've talked about Hana, and we've talked about Param, Nina, and, you know, the extent of their powers. So I thought it'd be an interesting lightning round question. Who do you guys think is the most powerful tailor between the three of them? This is so hard. And in part, it's because I think I naturally would have said, oh, of course, like Param, Nina must be because that's the whole thing about Param is it just like breaks the rules of how everything in the universe works. But I actually don't, at least off the top of head, can't think of any evidence that her tailoring job of Wylan was in any way better than what Hana or Jenya has done. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I think my instinct here is to say 
Hannah, but I think it's hard because all of the major tailoring jobs were done off page or off screen. And so we don't know exactly how much went into it. Well, we do see the one major tailoring job we see Jenya do on screen is changing Wylan back to look like himself. Mm -hmm. And that takes her quite a bit of work. And we hear from Nina that it took Jenya a lot of work to change Nina to look like Mila because Fjordan, Fisher woman, you got to really nail that profile. And so I would say Jenya is not the most powerful. Ooh, you know what? That brings up a good point. I don't think even Param Nina is then either because she does not, at least not purposefully, she doesn't change Wyland's vocal cords to sound like Kue. And that's why Wyland can't speak around Jesper for the return trip home. So either she did it on purpose, let's say, she didn't want to touch the vocal cords as part of Kaz's big plan, quote unquote, or she didn't have the attention to detail that the other two do have. I think we've established with JJ's point of Nina's not turning Jarl Broom into a parakeet that Param Nina's biggest drawback is that she lacks imagination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, that Absolutely. and her powers are only temporary, but you know, clearly uh, and, the and imagination followed by part. Withdrawal. Okay, so maybe it's Hannah. At least in terms of like pure raw talent, Hannah clearly takes the cake. Not that I want to segue into our next, you know, lightning round question oh! yet. <laughs> nice cat, nice. But yeah, there's a lot of evidence Hannah is at least as good as Jenya, and without any like without nearly the amount of time and training that Jenya put into it. For sure. So, Anjali, if you were making a Taylor kefta as a cake, what would it look like? (laughs) Basically, Jenya got to design her own kefta. Mm -hmm. And so if you, as a cake designer, were designing something that you think would be Maybe the cake symbol of the tailor, because <laughs> every Grisha order needs their own distinctive cake, I guess. What would that look like? So Kat and I once had this very formative baking experience where she saw a rainbow cake in a bakery with, you know, layers on the inside with all the colors of the rainbow. And she demanded that we remake it, which we did. It was a little painful, but we did it. And so I would remake that cake for this because I, too, like Morozova, believe are we not all things. So I would create a white cake on the outside and it would have every color of kefta um, of the rainbow inside to show that Grisha orders are really just bullshit and anyone can be anything if they try hard enough. Might be biased, but I buy it. That's beautiful, Anjali. Beautiful. Thanks. All right. This is our last episode before season two of the Shadow and Bone TV series on Netflix comes out. If any of you have anything in particular you'd like to hear from us about the show, let us know. You can write with that or any other feedback or questions you have at crowclubpod at gmail.com.